Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. for loving me and and all, all that good stuff but uh it's hard for me to to care too much about that today because last week we celebrated easter and this week we begin to celebrate uh the one who rose we're celebrating his bride being here in this city for 10 years um so it's hard for me to to really focus on on myself and my birthday at all thank you guys for that uh but John 3.30 says that uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that goes for all of us. You know, every day is his birthday. <laughs> every day is his day. Every day is the day that we get to, to celebrate him. I'm not going to lie to you guys and say that that's not just as hard for me as it is for you to move ourselves out of the, the limelight and move ourselves out of the center. But I do believe that uh, he has to increase and we have to decrease. Um, I want you guys to do something. If you guys would all just close your eyes, right there where you're sitting, close your eyes. You can bow your heads. Um, I want you to take a couple of deep breaths. Close your eyes. Deep breath. Couple of deep breaths. And I'm gonna, that song says it all starts with breathing you in and, and breathing you in deeply. So the title of the message for this first Sunday of our 10-year series is Deep Breath. Deep Breath. You know, at the 10-year mark, I feel as if God's told me this month to take a deep breath. And sometimes a deep breath is to reflect on a job well done. Sometimes a deep breath is to, to look up and to see how far you still have to go. Um, sometimes a deep breath is to center yourself. <clears throat> I do feel that there's further that we need to go uh, as a church further that I need to go as an individual. I also feel that uh, there is some truth to being able to say, man, we've done a good job over the last 10 years. But ultimately, if I'm truthful this morning, I have to say that I feel like God is telling me to take a deep breath to center myself. I've never been more sure about who we are as a church and because of that, the temptation is to run even faster. If you know where you are and where you're going and, and what it is that God's called you to do, the temptation is just, well, then let's get there as fast as we can. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 says, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. So if you are sure about who you are, where you are, and where you're going, and the vision is clear and it's written literally on tablets for you, you can run. Once you know it, once you read it, you can run. The danger is 
Running without clear direction can be detrimental. Just because you know who you are doesn't mean that you've got clear direction on which way you're supposed to be running. On Good Friday, I kind of talked about this. I read about the Garden of Gethsemane. Pastor Allen, when he was here on Wednesday, he talked about the Garden of, of Gethsemane as well. Disciples didn't know what to do, so they began to fight. Some of them began to run. Why? They didn't know exactly what they were supposed to do. They didn't have clear direction. Were they sure about who Jesus is? Yes. Were they more faithful than they had ever been in their lives? Yes. They just weren't ready to really run because they hadn't gotten clear direction. What they needed to do was to take a deep breath. What they needed to do was to be prayerful like we talked about. When this year started, I shared with you guys, and I said I rarely do this, but this year specifically, I felt like God had spoken a few things to me, and one of them was this word that he gave me that said, our focus needs to be on abiding, and he will take care of our behaving, right? Focus on abiding in Christ, being with him, being in his presence, taking deep breaths, praying, spending time with him, and then the behavior will take care of itself, I don't want to make the same mistakes as a church that the disciples made when they were running without direction. When they did that, they showed that they were not truly abiding in Christ. They were trying to behave in a way that they thought would please God. You see the difference? If they were abiding in Christ, they would have done exactly what Christ did and exactly what he wanted them to do. But their focus was on behaving in a way they thought would please them. You want us to fight, we'll cut ears off. If you want us to protect our lives, we'll run and get out of here so we can preach the message somewhere else. They were running, they were faithful, they, they loved God. But because they didn't have clear direction, they were off. I want to abide in Christ. I want this church to be a church that abides in Christ. John 15, 4 says... Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. We know that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you have to abide in me, and then I'll abide in you. Then he says, listen, I'm going back to the Father, I'm going to send my Spirit, that he will be with you and in you forever. And then in 1 John 4, 13, it says, By this we know that we abide in him and that he is in us because he has given us of his spirit. It's threefold. Jesus says, you have to abide in me and I have to abide in you. Jesus says, the way that's going to happen is I'm going to send my spirit. And then it says, by this we know. You know that God is alive inside of you only if the Holy Spirit has been received. And that should give us peace. That should give us confidence. That should make us always stop in our tracks and just... Deep breath. The cares of this world cannot choke us out. Amen. The difficulties of this life cannot stop us. <clears throat> they cannot cause us to run in the wrong direction if we slow down and take a deep breath. So why tenure and why deep breath after Easter? Say after Easter. After Easter. Say after Easter. After Easter. Say after Easter. After Easter. John 20 verse 19 is after Easter. And it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst. And he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. 
As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It's got to be one of the best scriptures in all of the Bible. They're gathered after the resurrection, just like we are gathered after the resurrection. They're in a room, just like we are in a room. And then it says Jesus comes and he's in the midst. He's there with them. And what does he say? Peace. Not stress, not drama, not let me deal with your stuff. He says just peace. You know, when, when God said that there was going to be light, he just said let there be light and there was light. When he says peace, he's not saying I have to fix all your stuff. He's saying I'm here. Peace. Right here, right now. And then he says, how am I going to give it to you? After he tells them twice, he just breathes on them. Receive my Holy Spirit. And I thought about it. How many of us are actually taking a deep breath of that Spirit in? Most often when we come to church, he's trying to breathe on us, and we're in here for an hour and a half holding our breath. It doesn't matter what he's breathing if we don't breathe it in. He says, receive my Spirit. It has to be in you. It has to abide in you. we got to slow down and take a deep breath. As I've been centering myself, the Holy Spirit's been re revealing some very simple but also very profound truths to me about what he's taught me over these 10 years uh, of pastoring this church. So there's some things I've learned that I can't do as a pastor and that we cannot do as a church. Some of those are make people love God, make them desire to learn, make them be faithful to this church, or make them grow. There's some things that I've learned that I'm not supposed to do as a pastor and we're not supposed to do as a church. Those are make people love God, <laughs> make them desire to learn, make them be faithful to this church, and make them grow. The song said, I tried to be the hero for a day but all my superpowers failed to save, so I turned in my ego and my cape. You guys got to get this song and just play it. <laughs> I tried to be the hero for a day, but all my superpowers failed to save, right? So I turned in my ego and my cape. I'm not Superman, and this church is not Superman. There are things that only God can do, so stop trying, the Spirit says to me. But when you're holding your breath, you're running trying to do everything. And God says, peace. Receive my spirit. <sighs> so many of us are trying so hard to do what God wants us to do. And it's because we're trying to apply what the world has taught us about accomplishment to our relationship with God. He says, I've already done it. Just breathe. Yeah. Just breathe. My deep breath and centering has confirmed for me what I am supposed to do as the pastor. That's love God myself, Amen. desire to learn myself, be faithful to this church myself, grow myself, preach the truth, and love people. Amen. And he's told me that I can do those things. He's told me that the way has a unique way of proclaiming the truth and loving people and that he's pleased with us. Amen. It's a great thing when God says, here's what I want you to do. And then he says, and you can do it. Somebody ever asked you to do something that you just know you can't do? <laughs> no matter how hard you try, no matter what you give, no matter how much you want to, at the end of the day, you know, I can't. You know, 
it's great when God says, hey, this is what I want you to do. Stop doing what I don't want you to do. Here's what I do want you to do, and you can do it. Amen. Oh, what a feeling. Then when he says, preach the truth and love people, then he says, this church, the way, has a very unique and special way of preaching the truth and of loving people and that he's pleased with us. It's great to know that God's happy. So I believe that this series is going to do a couple of things. It's going to be one that we look back on and recognize a shift, recognize growth, recognize spiritual change at the way as a church. I think we'll be able to look back and, and see those things. I believe that many of you will experience the same on a personal level as individuals, as families um, within this church. If you allow God to, to really breathe this upon you and that you would take it in, I think you'll see growth. I think you'll see a shift in your, your walk with God. <clears throat> I think you'll be able to look back and see that something has, has changed. This series is over. Everyone in this church will have a greater understanding of who God is, have a greater understanding of what he's doing at the way, and what he desires to do in each of us. And if this is the place he's going to do that in your life. I believe you'll greater understand, you'll have a greater understanding of who God is. A greater understanding of what he's doing in this church. A greater understanding and vision of what he wants to do in your life. And then clarity on whether or not he wants to do that here in your life. Think about what it would be like if you had all those things. And like I said... Think if, if it's possible that maybe at the end of this month you'll have them. How that would change things for you. <clears throat> so I'm so happy about those who have come and gone through this church. <laughs> and not like, you know, when somebody's gone and you're like, thank God they're gone. I don't mean it like that. I mean, there's been a lot of people over the years who have come and gone. There's people who have come for years and gone. There are people who have come for weeks and gone. But I'm grateful for every single one of them um, that have come and gone. They've left a mark upon this ministry. And I believe with all my heart that this ministry has left a mark upon them. None of us would be who we are today uh, at the way. And without... I think I just need to, there you go. I'm good. Thank you, sir. Fix your own problems. <laughs> so anyway, I want to thank God uh, that he's brought people into our lives that have rubbed up against us and we've been able to rub up against them and that even if they've gone on to other places in the next stage in their, their walk with God and their life with God, you know, uh, at 10 years, believe me, like I said, I, I know there's, there's more to grow and more to go, but if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be who I am today. And hopefully in their salvation, if it wasn't for what they experienced with you guys and here in this place, they wouldn't be who they are today. I want, uh, I want joy and not bitterness when I think about the years and the people. Amen? I'll say this also, though. Those of you who are here, and I mean really here, you're members of this church, you're part of the way, uh, and that you believe in what God is doing here, uh, you're a source of great joy to God, and you are like fresh water to a thirsty soul of your pastor. 
those who are here that really understand what God is doing at the way, and you believe in what God is doing at the way, and you are invested into what God is doing at the way, I believe that that puts great joy, a smile on God's face for your understanding of that, and you're part of this body, and your understanding of the local church. And like I said, uh, for me personally, it's like living water. I get tired, I get thirsty, I get frustrated. But when I see people who love God and believe in what he's doing here, it's like, it's like water for my soul. Wake up ready to do it again. And like I said earlier, you know, I, I know that we have this love for each other on a personal level, and you guys celebrate me on, on my birthday and, and things like that, but I get so much more joy when you guys celebrate Jesus and when you guys love him and walk with him and, and do what he wants you to do and live how he wants you to live. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So this 10-year series is going to help us fight the good fight instead of cutting off ears for Jesus because we haven't actually heard for him, right? Paul says, I fought the good fight. Peter says, I fought the wrong fight. You see the difference? This 10-year series is going to help you understand what the good fight is in your life. It's going to help us keep the faith by being in the church we're supposed to be in without fear of missing something else somewhere else. And that causes us to be an unfaithful bride. I saw a pastor post a picture yesterday, and it was a, a guy walking with his wife or his girlfriend, and he was looking back at some other girl, right? And then the, the caption said, uh, every Christian, and it was the guy, and then it said, for his wife or his girlfriend, the local church, and then the other girl was some other church. <laughs> and the idea was, look, be faithful to this one. Don't think about what's out there at that one. If you want to go out there to that one, go do that. God has plenty of houses, but wherever you're going to be, if you're unfaithful here, you'll be unfaithful there. Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I kept the faith. I kept the bride that he gave to me. I believe this 10-year series is also going to help us finish the race because we're going to take a deep breath. We're going to receive clear direction from the Lord about the course itself. How can you finish the race if you don't know where the finish line is? You have to have direction. You have to know where you're going. Otherwise, you end up running and never finishing. Somebody say amen. amen. Some people were frustrated with me when we did our, our couples night out because one of the directions are wrong. And it was entirely possible that you would never have made it to the place even though you were running the race. <laughs> Think about that. How many Christians are out there thinking they're running the race, but they're running the wrong race because they don't have direction. The Lord is at the finish line. He's not at all the different locations where we run out of gas. Listen, church. <laughs> the Lord is at the finish line. If you run out of gas because you've been running over there, he's not over there. He's at the finish line. If I run out of gas because I've been running over here, He's not going to feel bad that he's not over there. He's at the finish line. It would be wise of us to say, Lord, where is the finish line? Give me direction. Where should I be running? Right? It's one thing to say, write the vision down, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. But unless the vision tells you where the end goal is and the, and the finish line is, the vision isn't complete. Don't start running. We get in the car 
and we'll sit in the driveway for 10 minutes if we have to. Until I get the actual address, there's no point in driving not even 10 feet because I could be going 10 feet in the wrong direction. But when it comes to our face, we just be running and running and running all over the place. <laughs> Second Timothy 4, 7 said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith, I get the crown finally at the end, at the finish line. Not in these other locations. We all get one, but we got to get to the finish line. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the race. Thank you for a deep breath that you would give us direction, Lord God. Thank you for giving us clarity and understanding, Lord, that we would be able to be who you've called us to be as individuals, that we would be able to be who you've called us to be as a church, as your bride, that we would be able to be who you've called us to be as one of many churches that make up the whole of your bride, Lord. You are without limits. You are all over this planet. You have those that have called upon your name that you care for. You are washing us with your word. You are receiving our worship. You are providing for us. You have set aside a special people, Lord God. We thank you that we can be a part of that this morning. But we want to run with clarity. We want to breathe you in that you would give us direction, not just in some areas or what we consider to be the big areas, Lord God, but you're the God of the details, right down to the smallest thing, Lord. You care about it. You say you know the number of hairs on our head. You say that not even a bird, a sparrow, will fall to the ground without you knowing about it, Lord God. How much more do you love us and how much more do you care about the decisions we make on a daily basis? How much more are you willing to give us clarity on what we should do and when we should do it and how we should do it and where we should do it and for how long we should do those things, Lord God? Let us slow down and take a deep breath that we would be able to finish the race and make it to the finish line where you would be able to give us that crown of glory that you have waiting for us, Lord. We love you this morning. We thank you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. So what is tenure? It's great to have a series, not, not if we don't know what it means. <laughs> so tenure, the definition is, one, the holding or possessing of something. Two is status granted to an employee, usually after a probationary period, indicating that the position or employment is permanent. Tenure, you have something right? You possess it. Another way of looking at it is it's a status that's given to an employee after the probationary period. You get hired and they say, after a certain amount of time, you have this job and it is permanent. It cannot be taken away from you. So typically where we hear the term tenure is when we talk about teachers or professors, right? They become tenured and it means that they can only lose their job under extreme circumstances. Like if they were caught abusing their students physically, if they were caught stealing money from the university or the school, they lose their tenure. But at some point, teachers who have been there for a long time, they get tenured and they literally cannot be fired. That's what it means. One of the key principles behind tenure for these educators, for these teachers and these professors is called academic freedom. It means that once a teacher, a teacher is tenured, they don't have to fear losing their job if they want to continue to grow and study things that maybe are not quite in line with 
normal education or maybe not quite in line with the, the vision of that university. So let's say you've been working there for 20 years and you get tenured and all of a sudden you're like, I don't agree with some of the things that we've been teaching here. And I've learned some new things, and there's other things that I want to teach and other things that I want to share. You have that academic freedom to be able to go down those roads without fear of, well, oh, that's fine, but now you need to go look for a job. You've been here for 20 years, which means things have changed, and it's not going to be easy for you to find a job anymore. So you're fired, and now your life may be destroyed because you want to keep learning and keep growing. So they want this academic freedom to keep learning, keep growing, keep seeing what else they can find out there in the area of truth. So they established this. Uh, teachers union that allows them to do that. They get their tenure. They don't have to, to live in fear, right? They want to push the envelope. So for me, this makes sense in a lot of areas, and I hope it'll make sense for you guys this morning. Right now, my family's doing this, this health kick, right? And <clears throat> I'm glad that there are people out there who can study diet and research the effects on the body and research the effects on food and what it does to the human body, and they don't have to be afraid of not being able to work or being fired. Imagine if they wanted to go and look at nutrients and they wanted to go and look at the different things that we eat and somebody said, if you look into that and you find information that's different than what we've been teaching for the last 50 years, you're gonna be fired. They have tenure, which means for the last 50 years they can say, drink milk and eat meat and don't worry about these things and then they can get to a point and say, well, we've learned that some of these things might cause cancer. Imagine if they weren't able to get that information out. Does that make sense? Tenure is what allows them to keep learning and keep growing without fear of being silenced or being fired. There's a lot of educators who continue to search for truth. They give us things like seatbelts, <laughs> penicillin, seismic bracing on buildings. So like you might have been in a building like this 100 years ago, and if there was an earthquake, it would fall down and crash on all of us. But because somebody kept looking at engineering and how to build and what the soil is and that you need steel in these buildings, right? Right, they keep learning and they go back and they say, hey, you know what? We used to think you can just put concrete block, but it's falling and crashing on people. We need to put steel reinforcements. So it's gonna cost money, but let's reinforce these buildings. Aren't you glad that people were able to keep learning and then apply that knowledge to future generations? Does that make sense? That's what tenure is about in the field of educators is you don't have to be afraid to come back and say, hey, listen, all those guys that told you to build block buildings, they were wrong. We need steel reinforcements so that when the earth quakes, the steel will, will sway like this and it won't come crashing down on people. Seat belts. I remember in high school, a couple kids died because they're in the back of trucks. We don't ride in the back of trucks anymore. Kids aren't even allowed to walk outside without hats on and helmets on. But I hope you understand the idea of tenure, right? Is if you had to worry about every time you learned something and you knew something new that, that people didn't understand before that you might get fired, how many people would just be silent and never say anything and never push the envelope and never keep learning and keep growing, right? Things like soap, <laughs> right? Aren't you glad that people wash their hands? Aren't you glad you go into the, the, to the restroom and it says, lava los manos <laughs> before you go back to work? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. Because there was a day when those signs weren't there and people could just go back to work without washing their hands and cook your food. <laughs> Say tenure. tenure. Thank God for tenure. Amen. <laughs> but here's the big difference between our tenure series and the tenure of American academia, right? For us, the truth is not out there somewhere that we're going to look for. The truth is in here. You see the difference? 
For the teacher and the educator, they're saying what we have here is good, but it's not enough. So there's more truth out there for us to find. We want to be able to go and find it and then have that supersede everything else that we've already learned. With the Christian, what tenure means is we're not going out to look for more truth. We're focusing in believing that there's more truth. It's here. And it will not supersede what we've already learned. It will reinforce what we've already learned. You see the difference? There's still more truth, I believe, that God wants to reveal, but it's not going to contradict what you already know about God. It'll confirm it. It'll complete it. <clears throat> For instance, the world says, cigarettes are harmless. And a little while later, they say, cigarettes are extremely harmful. <laughs> See how it's completely different the more truth they found? The world says, marriage is between men and women in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and all the years before. And then they come back and say, no, nah, you know what? Not necessarily. It's pretty much anything goes. What the world said at one point is being contradicted by what the world says now. The world celebrates tenure. It gives freedom to all who have gained respect as educators, that they can be able to take their personal opinions and teach it as fact. The world takes anyone who's been tenured, like actors, athletes, teachers, business people, and once they get that level of respect of tenure, they become our examples for truth regardless of what lifestyle they choose to live by. If one of these actors comes on TV and talks to us about, it could be anything, and we just receive it because, oh, you respect them. That's Harrison Ford. That's Brad Pitt. Whatever he says, I mean, we should listen to it. What's wrong with us? Just because they've been tenured or gotten respect in one particular area or industry does not mean that we should just receive everything that they want to tell us. But that's what the world does. A great example of this. We have a president right now who is unqualified to be president. This isn't to get political, but here's the thing. He has no political experience, but because he has been tenured in the area of business, we let him run our politics. Because in our world, if somebody gets tenured in business, if they get picked, uh, tenured at your work that you work at, if they get tenured in the acting field, if they get tenured as an educator, we just let them talk to us and pour into us what they say is truth in every other area of our life, and that's wrong. Why are we letting these people lead our lives? We have to stop letting people who have been tenured in one area lead us in all these other areas of our lives. They have to be tested. Here's another example. We have a gymnastics coach for the United States who is tenured. He knows everything about gymnastics. He's been a, a great teacher. He's been a great leader. And so what happens? These parents say, take my daughters. Because you must be moral. You must be righteous. You, you tell us to plan for our family. If you say five days of practice, it's five days of practice. If you say $30,000 for you to be the coach, well, then $30,000 for you to be the coach. And then what happens? He molests all these young girls because we let him lie to us about all these other areas of life. He is not the moral barometer for you. He is not the family planner for you. He is a gymnastics coach. He is not the one to send your daughters off out of state and out of the country with. Tenure is different in the world than it is in the church. 
But how many people who we work jobs, whoever that boss is, they may be tenured, they may be great in that field or in that industry, but that means nothing in regards to morality, love, life, joy, relationship, friendship, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of us are the ones who have been tenured by God and we act as if these other people have more authority in every area of life. And we let them talk about things and say things and speak lies as if they're the truth. And we're the holders of truth. You know, I know Steve Jobs is passed and we all have all these iPhones and stuff, but people line up to hear this guy talk. And I'm sure that people would love to hear him talk about any area of life. I don't want to hear you say anything that doesn't have to do with an iPhone. I don't need you to talk to me about God. I don't need you to talk to me about love. I don't need you to talk to me about marriage. I don't need you to talk to me about friendship. I don't need you to talk about any of those other things because just because you've been tenured in electronics does not mean that you are now the authority on all kinds of other areas of life. But how many people, they wouldn't even care what the topic was. If he was still alive and he was going to be giving a speech somewhere, people would be lining up to go without even knowing what he was going to be talking about. I post stuff on Facebook all the time. Christ is risen. We are restored. By his stripes, we are healed. I post a picture of Derek Fisher. 3,000 people want to like it. <laughs> Why? You see this man's face, and you know he used to play for the Lakers, and it's like we're drawn to People are texting me. How did that happen? Like, I don't want to talk about that. Why don't you talk to me about that baptism? Why don't you talk to me about that salvation? Why don't you talk to me about the word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword? You know why? Because Derek Fisher's been tenured. He's reached the level in this world that we live in where he demands respect and he demands attention. Who's shaping your life? Who are the authorities in your life? Which voices are you listening to? Which coaches are really running your home? Which bosses are really the authority in your life? I guarantee you, all these parents, all these little girls that are now in their 20s, and I've watched them on the news, and they're getting up there, he did this to me, he stole that from me, and the, the parents are mad, and they're trying to jump across the room to get to him in the courthouse. Where were you when you should have been listening to God and not letting this man do all this damage in your life? Now you want to be mad, you did it. And I guarantee you this, they're letting other people do the same thing in their life right now. It may not be as physically dramatic as their daughters being molested year after year after year, but I guarantee you there are other people who have been tenured in their world that are speaking into their life, and the voice of God is silent. Can't hear him at all. Paul was on a ship, and it was sinking, and Paul's a man of God, and he's telling them, stop, don't go that way, we're going to lose everything, we're going to lose everyone. And then there's the guy that's tenured because he's the captain of the ship and he's saying, let's keep going. You know who they listen to? They listen to the captain of the ship. Instead of listening to Paul, where are the voices of the men of God? Where are the voices of the women of God? And where do they line up in your hierarchy of what you listen to as you make decisions about your life and your walk with God? The tenure of God says to a church, 
that you have faithfully proclaimed the truth, and because of that, you have been established. You will not be removed unless something catastrophic happens. Think about that. Picture God. Just like a university comes to a teacher and says, you made it. You've been tenured. It's been great watching you for all these years, and now just don't do anything crazy. <laughs> but keep going. You don't have to worry about losing your job. Imagine God comes to a church, and he says, you faithfully proclaimed my word. You faithfully love people. You're being tenured. You're being established. You will not be removed unless something catastrophic happens. If you begin to abuse the sheep, if you begin to preach things like works instead of grace, if you attempt to steal the glory that belongs to Jesus, this is why I said what I said about uh, my birthday. Thank you guys for that. And I'm not, this isn't to, <laughs> to give you any, any of a hard time, but Jesus says, look, it's my glory. You don't even have a birth if it ain't for me. And people will sing happy birthday to you, but they won't lift up one word to me and say, I was made to worship. I was made for love. But we can sing happy birthday to a man. He says, oh, you can lose your tenure if you lead like that. If you try to mix in what you think with the truth, you can lose your tenure. If you take the truth that you've preached and then you use it to preach your own agenda, once people have gained trust in you, that's what a lot of people do, right? Like once people trust you to deliver the word of God or once people trust you, let's say you're in your work field or your industry, and once you get their trust, then you have this other agenda below it of things that you want to do and you want to accomplish. God will swiftly remove the tenure from that church. So I'm well aware of these pitfalls that many churches fall into, but I'm not afraid to say that I believe God has given us tenure at the way. It's, a, it's an interesting place to be in as, as a man of God, as a pastor, as a church, where you say, look, it's not prideful. I don't care. I'm not going to be afraid to say, you know what? I think God has established this church. Yes. I know that if we don't act right and we do things that we're not supposed to do, just as quickly as he giveth, he can taketh away. But I'm not going to be afraid to say, I believe we're established. I believe this church is not going anywhere. We're a good church. We teach and preach the truth, and we love people. I'm not saying it to boast. I'm just saying I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> Here's another one for you. I think I'm a good man and a good husband and a good father and a good pastor. My race that I'm running, I believe, will make me a great man and a great husband and a great father and a great pastor. But Ali, I believe that I've been tenured in all these areas, and I believe that I'm not the only one here. We should not be afraid to say, you know what? I started with nothing, and I was nothing, and I was nobody, and I was a liar, and I was a cheat, and I was a thief, and I was selfish, and I was everything that I could possibly be, but there's no reason why to say 10 years later, you know what, God, I'm not that. I'm faithful. I love God. I love my wife. I love my children. I love the church. I'll do anything you want me to do for your people, God. Why can't I say that and say, you know what, because of that, you've given me tenure Amen. and you've established me and I'm not the only one. There are others here. Yes. Amen. And we shouldn't be ashamed to say that. It's not, it's not humility if it's false humility. If you act like you don't feel like God has established you. That's false humility. It's actually denying God and denying his power to, to act as if he hasn't established you, to act as if he hasn't changed something. 
It doesn't give glory to God for us to sit there and act like we're the same 10 years later as we were in the beginning. He doesn't want that. He saved you so that he could establish you. This morning I came to tell each of you that God wants to work in you and move in you and establish you and tenure you. He does not want you to stay like you were when you got saved. He doesn't want you to stay like you were yesterday before you came here today. Like there's something he wants to do. There's something he wants to establish. There's something he wants to be immovable in your life. There's something he wants you to be able to stand on and say, you know what? I'm not ashamed to say I'm different. God has given me things that will never be taken from me. I don't care who I used to be. I'm no longer that person. I don't care who you remain. This is where I'm going. I haven't arrived yet, but I'm on the course. I've heard the direction. I've breathed in the Holy Spirit, and I'm going towards the finish line. We should be able to say that. You should be able to say that. So here's the question. What are you building? What are you striving for today? What are you standing on and centering yourself from? That you would be able to say, I'm established, I'm strong, I'm tenured, I know where I'm going. I have to be honest with you, it ain't this, it ain't coming to church. Hey guys, help me out real quick. I want to show you guys what what I'm trying to tell you guys this morning. Just take that right up to the front if you could, fellas. Perfect. I'm going to need your muscles in a minute. You guys go ahead and sit down there. Thanks. So in my personal life, this is my salvation. It's been established. It's strong. It's solid. It's built by Christ. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be destroyed. Um, And this is Mary's salvation. Looks a lot like mine, amen? <laughs> Hers is strong. Hers is solid. It's been established, and it cannot be taken. Everything that we have, we've built upon Christ. And because of Christ, the two have become one. Where we were separated, we're no longer separated. In Christ, the two have become one. Then... God brings around these little babies named Nate, and there's Naomi, and there's Niall. And he says, this is your family. This is what I've established. It started with your individual salvations. Everything that you have has been built upon me. I'm the one that holds it all together. Without me, it all falls apart. And then he says... This is everything else in your life. Everything's important, but I don't care about all this stuff that everybody's paying attention to all day, every day. I can focus on this for a week or two. I can have some issues with this and have to talk to some of my brothers about it. I can say to the coach, look, we ain't going to make it on Sunday. I'm sorry. But none of this matters if I don't remember. I'm only established. I've only been given tenure because I know the rock of my salvation. I know that the big bricks in everything that's going on is my wife and I and our marriage. And I know that all that 
really matters is Nate, Naomi, and Niall and what happens to them with their eternal souls. This is called life, and this is what it looks like. The problem is many of us have this flipped upside down. We are on unstable ground because all the little things are constantly, constantly, constantly causing us to tip and to tumble and to struggle and to worry and to cry. And when that stuff starts to happen, all I have to do is take a deep breath and say, center yourself. Receive the Holy Spirit. How's your marriage? It's good, Lord. Are there any issues? Why don't you go to a marriage event? Why don't you pray together? Why don't you remember that all the rest of this stuff, if it falls apart, it doesn't matter. How are your children? Are you listening to what they're saying? Are you caring about how they're feeling? Do they understand that when you're running around with all these other small rocks and meeting with people and praying with people and counseling people and marrying people and preparing the word and teaching Bible study, do they understand that they are loved immensely? If not, stop. Deep breath. Nate, let's go get some food. Nile, come sleep in dad's bed tonight. Naomi, no man will ever love you as much as your father loves you. Deep breath. Deep breath. I'm already established. I don't have to wait. I've already been given tenure. I can only become better at what you've placed inside of me, Lord. I don't have to earn anything. You've made me a man. You've made me a husband. You've made me a father. I'm established. It can never be taken from me. I can only give it away, and I refuse to give it away, God. Matthew 7, 24 says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. If we build our lives any other way than this, please believe me, the rains are coming, the floods are coming, the winds are coming. No matter who you are, no matter how hard you've tried, it's coming for you. And you'll either stand or you'll fall. It's very simple. It's not easy, but it's very, very simple. We build on the rock, so when the stuff comes against us, we stand. And everybody else looks at it and they say, how are you standing? When the Bible says a peace that surpasses understanding, right? When, when people's wives are passing away or their husbands are passing away, when their kids get cancer, and people are looking at us and saying, how are you making it? Where is your God? I can't believe you're still going to church. I can't believe you're still praying. I can't believe you still give. I can't believe you still have a smile on your face. I know the one in whom... I believe. Amen. I know him. I don't know of him. I don't have a picture of a cross somewhere. I'm not wearing a necklace. I've breathed him in. Amen. He lives in me. I abide in him and he abides in me. How about the church? Acts chapter 4, verse 11 says, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
Rejected by the builders, but it's the chief cornerstone. What it means to be the cornerstone is God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you're going to build a church, when he says it's the chief cornerstone, what he's saying is once you place this, you can build everything else, but it's built from here. If you start with some other stone, you end up with odd angles. You end up with gaps. But if you have the chief cornerstone, you can build this way in straight lines. You can build this way in straight lines. You can go up in straight lines, but you got to have the chief cornerstone. They say Jesus is the cornerstone and you rejected him. So no matter what you build, it's going to fall apart. What about your church? Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This church has this thing called Bible study every Wednesday night. And it lines up perfectly. Why? Because the word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. The way has this ministry called worship. And it lines up perfectly. Perfectly straight with that cornerstone. Because we don't come here to sing songs, we come here to worship the king. They don't come to worship practice to learn how to sing songs better. They learn how to uh, um, call upon the spirit of God to dwell in this church. And it lines up perfectly. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The way has this ministry called Children's Church. And we are not babysitters. We are training up children in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart. Matthew 25, 34 says, The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The way has this ministry called Sidewalk Sanctuary. We ain't going out to have food at Green Tomato. We're going out to feed those who are hungry, to clothe those who are naked, to give drink to those who are thirsty, to invite them into a relationship with God. And it lines up perfectly because we know the cornerstone. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The way it has this ministry called courses, where you can get some knowledge, not because we love courses, but because the Bible says my people perish and they are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We have to teach. So we have these courses, and they line up perfectly with that cornerstone. Romans 12, 5 says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have these new members' dinners. And this membership course that you can take. Not because we want you to sign on some dotted line somewhere and commit to a bunch of stuff. Because the Bible says we are one body. We are members of one another. And it just lines up perfectly with that cornerstone. You may have heard this one before. Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, and you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offering. We get up here and we receive tithe and offering every Sunday, every Wednesday, not because the church is trying to pull dollars out of your pocket, but because the word of God says, do not rob me. We have financial peace three times a year. Why? 
Because we want to just flood Ray and Sarah's house with people? No, because we are willing to sacrifice personally so that the word of God can be fulfilled in his church. And it just lines up perfectly. Luke 16, 1 says, He also said to his disciples, There's a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. We have this ministry in our church called financial, uh, our finance ministry. Somebody else other than me is responsible for every dollar that comes into this church and every dollar that goes out of this church. Why? Because we know the word of God says that we have to be good steward and he is going to come and say, I want an account. What did you buy? What did you spend? Where did you go? And it just lines up perfectly. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. We have this ministry at the way that's called Men's Fellowship and Bible Study. Why? Because there's too many children that call themselves men that are not men, and we need to become men, and we need to put away childish things, and it doesn't just happen. You need to spend time with other men of God. It's not just something cool to do once a month on a Tuesday. It's not just phone calls that we have to text you to see where you're at. We're trying to build men, men of God. Genesis 2.18 says, the Lord said, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. The ministry is called the Ways 31 Status Women's Ministry. Why? Proverbs 31. It's not about being only the Proverbs 31 woman. It's about being what God intended the first woman to be and every woman thereafter, both strong and weak, both capable but also covered, loving, a helpmate. So we get together not just to go out and say, I am woman, hear me roar. We get together to say, without us, these men will never be what they're supposed to be. The church will never be what it's supposed to be. Our daughters will never be what they're supposed to be. We as women will never be what we're supposed to be. It's not just something cool to do. It lines up with the cornerstone. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. We have this light Youth ministry, living in God's hand together. Why? We don't want you just to come somewhere to keep you out of trouble. We want you to be an example. You should be living purely. You should be living righteously. You should be an example to the rest of us who may struggle in those areas. You don't have to wait till you screw up. Come here and learn the word of God. Matthew 19, 6 says, So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. We have these engaged marriages, couples nights out, engaged marriages, conferences with counselors and everything else that we can do. Not just because we want to say we did something, but because the word of God says he brought us together. Don't let us be separated. Most marriages more than half end in divorce, and we will not stand for that in this church. We will not just let it happen. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We have this ministry called the cleaning ministry out the way. Why? Because we are called to serve, not just to be served. And it just lines up with the cornerstone. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. 
Second Chronicles 7, 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We have this ministry. It's called the prayer ministry. Oh, I don't know about a Friday night. I don't know about early on a Sunday morning. I don't know about going when everybody's hanging out and talking, doing coffee and donuts. You want me to go to 4 to 6 and pray? It's not just something to do and something to have on a calendar. It lines up with the cornerstone and the word of God. Yes. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is no joke. We have this ministry called the Family Resource Ministry. You get in the app and there's articles in there about everything from dealing with your children entering into puberty to what it's like to, to talk to your daughters who are going on their first dates to what it means for a young boy to be coming of age. It's not just in there for something to be in there. It's because, listen, the devil is wild and he runs loose. And if he can't get you in one area, he'll get you in the next. There's not enough time in any service to preach on everything. you got to go get that armor. If you got teenagers and you ain't reading about raising teenagers, if you got a jacked up marriage and you ain't reading about how to fix jacked up marriages, you have no armor. Go get it. And it lines up. That's why we do it. Isaiah 62, 6 says, I have set watchmen on your walls. This church has security. <laughs> we don't want to look cool with earpieces. We want people not to be able to walk in here and shoot up this church like they've shot up other churches. It takes time. It takes effort. But it lines up with the cornerstone. That's why we do it. John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. We have this ministry at the way called the photography ministry. It's not so we can have the coolest post out there. It's so that we can be reminded what God did yesterday and what he did two weeks ago and what he did three months ago and what he did ten years ago. And it lines up with the word, the word Holy Spirit, remind me. I see that picture when I first came and I was so excited to be in church and in a Bible study and to be learning your word. And now I'm over here mad. I need to be reminded of who I am and where I came from. Amen. Romans 10, 15 says, how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The way has this ministry called the media ministry that records every single message and then it has beautiful feet as it goes out into the world via Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> it's not just so we can say, look, we know how to record. It's preaching to the world, but we won't share it. John 14, 2 says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. We have this ministry at the way called set up and ushering. Why? Because it is preparing a place. For people to come and hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And it lines up with that cornerstone. It's not just so we could say we've got tables and chairs and signs and places for you to sit. It's because Jesus went to prepare a place, so we are going to prepare a place. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We have this ministry called the life. Young Adults Ministry. And you know why we have it? 
because people need to learn how to use what they learned when they were in the youth and how to become young adults so they don't look like the rest of us adults who act like we don't know what to do. So by reason of use, we say, look, we're not going to wait for you to be 16, 17, turn 18, and then you're going to look like the rest of us who are 35, 40, 50, and 60. No, we're going to have this life young adult ministry that says, use what you learn. Put it into practice. You're not in high school anymore. Become a man. Become a woman. Don't wait. Oh, and it lines up with the chief cornerstone. Acts 6, 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out amongst yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. We have this ministry called administration and our welcoming ministry, two different ministries. Why? Because we want to know who came and where did you come from and how can we connect with you. We want you to get emails that say, hey, your course is coming up. We want you to get text messages that say, hey, there's a men's event, there's a women's event, there's a couple's event. Do you need help? Do you need finances? Can you come? We have that ministry. Why? So that this ministry of the word and prayer can continue to go forward, but nobody gets lost in the shuffle. It's not just something to do. We don't do anything in this church just for the sake of doing it. But how many people in the church have no idea the direction that God has given us? So therefore we run not or we run in the wrong direction. We ain't hounding you because the event is not going to be good if you don't show up. We're hounding you because God has said you need this and the church has provided it for you. God has said you need this and the church has provided it for you. God has said you need this. And it's the same problem we always have. We're focused on all this. We're focused on all this. Well, I don't like this. And she said that to me. And I like it better over here because it looks like this. And it sounds like this. And I'm more free here. And they don't understand my gifts. I hear the voice of the Lord and he says, you have been established. Don't worry about the other voices. Do what I called you to do. And if this is your brick, you better do it the way he's called you to do it. And if he's given you this, do not, do not say that he wasn't there for you and he didn't hear your prayers and he didn't provide for you because you were focused on this. You were focused on this. There's a ton of ways to do what God wants us to do. This is the way that he says you're going to do it at the way. Don't lose focus of this for these. <laughs> Some of the things that we do, they look bigger than other things. You know, Pastor Allen was here on Wednesday night and he said, You guys are known as a church on the streets. You guys are out there and you convict us that we should be on the streets doing sidewalk sanctuary, feeding the hungry, clothing those who are naked, giving drink to those who are thirsty. Praise God for that. But you know what else? We also teach and preach the word week in and week out. We're also a church that prays 
We're also a church that's not afraid to serve from the top to the bottom. We're also a church that doesn't let the kids come in here for daycare that teaches them. We also baptize and we also pray. We're all those things and then some. Not because we've decided to be, but because God has called us to be and then equipped us and empowered us to be. Man, can anybody see the vision? Can anybody receive it? What is your part? One day I see every single one of those ministries with hundreds of people pouring into that individual ministry. Could you imagine Vanessa's children's church if it wasn't just Vanessa? But there was a hundred people saying, how can we be the best children's church ministry out there? How can we provide for these kids in a way that no other church has been able to provide? How can we meet the needs of every single child? How can we know if every single child is dealing with abuse in the home? Yes. Yelling and anger and fighting in the home? Amen. Imagine if there was a hundred people that said, I'm not just going to show up to teach a class and get done with my two hours and say I did my duty. Man, I'm going to know these kids. Who else cares if their home is violent? Who else cares if they're not getting enough to eat? Who else cares if they don't have clothes? I see it one day. I see it. I see it for all of them. God has convicted me to spend less time worried about these things. They're going to continue to come and they're going to continue to be a part of what we do. He says, deep breath. It's built on me. It's going to bear fruit. Deep breath. The desires are the right desires. Your prayers will be answered. Deep breath. There's no fluff. It's all foundational. It's all important. Deep breath. See, the children of Israel, they missed out on what God had given them. And then the Gentiles came in like us, and we've been enjoying the goodness of the church ever since. All this stuff that's been offered, it was offered to them. And because they didn't want it, another group of people came in and got it. I want to prepare you guys as we look at tenure, these first 10 years and going on to the next 10 years. I'm telling you, God put this here for you. We're not looking around for other people. God put it here for you. He put it here for me. But I guarantee you this, just like the, the children of Israel didn't want it and we came and got it, if you don't want this, God is going to send people here who do. He is going to send people here who want it, who will fight for it, who will receive it, who will breathe it in, and who will, who will enjoy the fruits of it. We've begun to see some of that where, just think about the church recently. People are getting saved, then they're getting baptized, they're going through courses, we're seeing marriages, we're seeing salvation, we're seeing all these things in people's lives that have been taking a lot more time for many of us to go through those, those stages. Bible talks about things accelerating in the end times. I believe we're going to see more people just get saved, get sold out, give everything to God, build their lives on the rock. I want us all to be a part of that. Tenure is about something being established. It doesn't matter what the world sees. You know, I've, I've come to grips with the fact that sometimes I don't see it right. I know the world doesn't see it right. They look at us, if somebody were to walk in here right now and say, what is this and who are you few people? But I believe, that I, I keep seeing that vision of this, this dark city at night, but it's a city set on a hill. 
And I just see this fire coming out of this place where like, look, God sees something that the world doesn't see. And he says, hey, here, you're tenured. I'm going to bring it to a close just a minute. Can you hear what God is saying about you and about this church this morning? About your life and about the life of the way? I believe that he wants you and he wants us to be established. Exodus 15, 17 says, You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Deuteronomy 32, 6 says, Do you thus deal with the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? 1 Chronicles 16.30 says, Tremble before him, all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. 2 Chronicles 20.20 says, Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Psalm 40 verse 2 says, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon the rock and... He established my steps. Last one, Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. We serve the God who establishes and grants tenure. That's who he is. He wants to establish us. He doesn't want us on shaky, rocky ground. He doesn't want us all over the place. He doesn't want us focused on the wrong things. I'm going to close this morning by sharing what I think is the one thing I believe leads us to tenure more quickly than anything else. If you're here and you be honest and say, you know what, I don't know that I'm established. I don't know that I'm tenured. I don't know that God has come down and said, bam, here is my stamp of approval. You have been established never to be removed, never to be shaken, never to be overcome by any storm. This is the one thing I believe leads you to that more quickly than anything. As we take a deep breath and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, we most often find this. It's called wisdom. Wisdom. We've been looking at Stephen several times over the last couple of weeks, and it, can, it continues to strike me. In the middle of that whole story, this is one thing it says in verse 10, Acts 6.10. To the people that he was talking to, it says, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Amen. The spirit and wisdom are like two sides of the same coin. When you have the spirit of God you will be a person who moves in wisdom. Does that make sense? You will be wise. People will look to you. People will be, they'll recognize like, look, I'm the boss, but you have more wisdom than I do. I've been tenured in this area of life, but the reality is that person has more wisdom than I do. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have wisdom, if you're not identified as a man of wisdom, a woman of wisdom, somebody that people can come to you with the situations and circumstances of their life and you be able to pour wisdom and godly wisdom into their life, Focus all your attention on it. <laughs> this is my devotional from yesterday. It says why we lack, this is just a little piece of it, why we lack understanding by Oswald Chambers. Mark 9, 9. Jesus commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is what Oswald Chambers says. As the disciples were commanded, you should also say nothing until the Son of Man has risen in you. 
Until the life of the risen Christ so dominates you that you truly understand what he taught while here on the earth, when you grow and develop the right condition inwardly, the words Jesus spoke become so clear that you're amazed you didn't grasp them before. In fact, you were not able to understand them before because you had not yet developed the proper spiritual condition to deal with them. Our Lord doesn't hide things from us, but we are not prepared to receive them until we are in the right condition in our spiritual life. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. We must have oneness with his risen life before we are prepared to bear any particular truth from him. Do we really know anything about the indwelling of the risen life of Jesus? The evidence that we do is that his word becomes or his word is becoming understandable to us. God cannot reveal anything to us if we don't have his spirit. The spirit and wisdom and understanding of the word. So here's what I'm going to do. Isaiah, would you come? I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 8 to you guys this morning as we close. And I'm going to invite you guys to pray. The heading in my Bible for Proverbs chapter 8, don't turn there. And, and matter of fact, Ray, I don't even want you to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read Proverbs 8, and the heading in my Bible says, The Excellence of Wisdom. The Excellence of Wisdom. I'm going to turn this around. We'll put the focus on, on that instead of on me. I'm going to come down here and share this with you guys. I think this paints a pretty good picture of where your focus should be as, as I share this with you guys. Proverbs chapter 8. The excellence of wisdom. It says, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice she takes her stand on the top of the hill beside the way <laughs> where the paths meet she cries out by the gates at the entry of the city at the entrance of the doors to you O men I call and my voice is to the sons of men the picture is that wisdom like a woman it says she cries out she, she places herself where the paths meet Every path meets in this location, and then only one will lead to the cross, and the others are going to go all these other directions. And it says that wisdom is right here, and she's crying out, I'm here. Listen to me. Don't go in the wrong direction. Verse 5 says, Oh, you simple ones, understand prudence. You fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, I will speak of excellent things. And from the opening of my lips will come right things. My mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Wisdom says, listen, you can take it to the bank. Every single thing that I say, I'm not like those other people who have received tenure where only talk to me about business. Only talk to me about iPhones. Only talk to me about gymnastics. No, wisdom says every single word I say in every area of your life, you can take it all in wholly. This wisdom. Verse 9, 
They are all plain to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction, not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. What do you desire most? Be honest this morning. Are you seeking wisdom or are you seeking other stuff? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thought on your mind? When you go to bed at night and you're having your prayers about what you want and where you want to go and what you want to see and what you want to have, is wisdom even on the list? It says it's better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot even compare to her. Verse 12, I, wisdom, I dwell with prudence. I find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign. Rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles. All the judges of the earth. Wisdom says, I establish. Verse 17. I love those who love me. <laughs> this is the only chapter I know of in all the Bible where wisdom is talking directly to you. Wisdom, she says, I love those who love me. Those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and all my revenue better than choice silver. If you have wisdom, she says, I love you if you love me, and you are rich beyond your wildest dreams. Verse 20, I, I traverse the way of the righteous in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. You guys have heard me talk about this once or twice before, that if you're on the road that God wants you to be on, you'll be on that road and you'll just find gifts. Like, oh man, I didn't even know this was for me, but it has my name on it and it's on this road. You've heard me say that before. I didn't do this on purpose, but I'm saying what the Bible says. Wisdom says this. I traverse the way of the righteous and in the midst of the paths of justice that I cause those who love me to inherit wealth. Wisdom says, if this is the path of righteousness and justice, I traverse it. She says, I'm walking back and forth on the path of righteousness and justice. And if you find yourself on this path, I have gifts for you. <laughs> Wisdom. She says that. She tells you where she's going to be and what she's going to be doing and that she has something for you. Oh, I love her. Verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not even made the earth or the fields or the primeval dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. <laughs> When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was the sons of men. 
She says, I've always been here. When there was nowhere to be, I was there. I was with them. I was his possession. When the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were talking about what they were going to do, he, she says, like a master craftsman, they brought me in. Let's use wisdom. <laughs> Let's use wisdom. And she said, of all the things that he did, wisdom says of everything he created and exactly how he did it, my delight was you guys. Of all he made, I was so amazed at the way he made you. And I traverse this path waiting for you to give you gifts. You are my delight. Hallelujah, Lord. You guys got me up here just pushing buttons. Hold that for me, wisdom. <laughs> no, I'm always telling you guys to keep one of these with you. Like Esther, for a time such as this. These ones work. Amen. No, I don't need it. Thank you. Out of the light of the Lord. <laughs> Last couple of verses, verse 32. Now, therefore, listen to me, children, <laughs> for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and they obtain favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul, and those who hate me love death. Man, wisdom is something else. Wisdom is something else. So I want to close with uh, asking you guys just to stand with me. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and everybody take a deep breath. Picture the Holy Spirit being breathed out, breathed upon you by your Lord and by your Savior. Jesus says, I breathe upon you, receive my spirit. Take another deep breath. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Breathe in the Spirit of God. Go ahead and keep your eyes closed. Focus on the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and your years of life will be added to you. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, but you have a fear of judgment, you have a fear of having to pay for the sins that you've committed, the Bible says that's a good thing. That is the beginning of wisdom. You should be afraid because judgment is coming. And there is a price to be paid. And the Lord sees everything. Nothing is secret. Nothing is hidden from him. You're wise to be afraid. But he says, if you'll give your life to him, in turn, he'll take your sin and give you forgiveness 
He'll take unrighteousness and make you righteous. He says, I'll give you eternal life. When he says, I'll multiply your days, he's not talking about just a long life. He's talking about eternal life. Be done with the old life. Start a new life that will live forever. But you have to take the first step of wisdom. And then your salvation will be established. You will be tenured in the area of salvation. It can never be taken from you, but a step has to be taken. The word goes out. Wisdom stands at the crossroad and she says, hey, <laughs> you will be judged unless you go this way. This road leads to the cross. This road leads to somebody who has died for you. This road leads to forgiveness and joy and eternal life. This is the only road, and it is a narrow road. Hear my voice above every other voice, for wisdom is speaking to you. We all come to this crossroad in fear. Some of us continue on the wrong road, and we maintain that fear. Some of us go through the cross, and we're forgiven. If you're here, the eyes are closed, the heads are bowed, you're not saved, you still have fear, you don't know that you're going to heaven, but you want to. It's just a simple decision to choose Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand. I want Jesus. I want to be saved. I've come to the crossroad. I want to be a wise man. I want to be a wise woman. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. As we worship, I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm going to release you guys. We're going to worship just two things. This worship is a foundational brick, if you will, of who we are at the way. These aren't songs we sing. This is the heart of our church that cries out to our king. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Enter into it. Be part of it. Be of one accord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. But I feel a little bit like Pastor Paul this morning. So I want to share his words with you before I pray. Romans 1.11, Paul says, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. <laughs> Paul says, I'm the pastor. I want to see you. I long for you. Why? I want to impart something to you. I want to give something to you that you would be established, that you would be tenured, that you would be founded upon the rock. So as we worship, I'm going to stand here and I want to give you something. If you're a ministry leader here, as we worship and you come, I'm going to give you your brick. And I want you to never forget how important you are and how important this ministry is to what God is doing at The Way. If you're not a ministry leader, you are still part of this body. You are still important. Every part, the Bible says, has an effective working that makes the whole body effective. It doesn't matter what ministry you do or don't have. It matters if you see the vision and that you've been given some direction, that you would be able to go towards the finish line that God has for you. I want you to take two pieces. I don't care if you take a brick. Once the ministry leaders get theirs, there's going to be some extra you can take a brick. I don't care if you take two of these rocks. I want them to represent for you guys what God is trying to establish in you as an individual and the other one, what God is using you to help establish at the way. Foundational. They matter. They will last. We'll build everything upon the rock. Lord, we thank you for who you are, Jesus. 
We came to bless your name, to give unto you, to give you worship, to give our tithes and our offering, to give our attention, Lord. And like always, the gifts that we have cannot compare to the gifts that you have for us. You said that we could have tenure. You've said this morning that we can be established. You said this morning that we can have uh, pride in who you are, not in who we are. You've said that the old is gone and you've ushered in and you've made all things new. You've told us this morning that we do not have to wait. You're in the midst. We see your hands. We see the hole in your side. And you say to your people this morning, peace to you. Not tomorrow. Not next year. Not when everything gets fixed. But because you are here in our midst, you say we have peace now. And then you breathe on us. Lord, as we worship you, we want to feel your breath, breathing your Holy Spirit upon us, and we want to breathe you in deeply. We will not hold our breath. We will breathe you in. We will take a deep breath. We love you this morning. We need you this morning. As we come, Lord, minister to your people. Touch them. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Give them the peace that surpasses understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You guys are released. You can worship, you can pray. You can... I was nowhere, you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.